0: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watches, His Dark Materials, Series 3, Episode 1 and 2, The Enchanted Sleeper, slash The Break. I am one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, it is Series 3, slash Season 3, because we are premiering in America first. This time.
0: Wow, before (laughs) we get into our gloating... Okay. Ted before Lazo we get to the show about
1: how an American saves British football,
0: <laughs> welcome back. Oh my god, welcome back. It's been two years. Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. Two years since our last *His Dark Materials* series coverage since series two came out.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know they had a lot of stuff that they had to address and think about to produce series three. I mean, it's... The third book is so ambitious and requires a lot of things that require a lot of CG. Very difficult, I think, to visualize because it is so fantastical, even more so than the previous books. And between all that planning, adapting it, etc., and also navigating... It was still like very much... COVID lockdowns and things like that I think when some of this was starting mm-hmm. so here we are and also I guess they wanted to navigate some stuff too with like the actors ages
0: yeah there's a little bit in this that I can see that they're covering it question mark I think that we're gonna like the way it goes so far so good and before we get into some of those thoughts we do want to preface with our spoiler policy if you're new to the girls gone canon show coverage, or if you've forgotten because it's been two fucking years and I forgot, we are a spoiler books podcast, so we will be spoiling the main trilogy of His Dark Materials, that is Northern Lights slash The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, and The Amber Spyglass. And if you're looking to check out the past seasons that we've covered or series that we've covered, series one and series two of this show. Please go back and take a listen. We may refer back to that as well, which you can find on, I don't know, your favorite podcast platform near you, right? Whether you're a Spotifyer, checking that hashtag Wrapped, or whether you are iTunes-in or Acast, Stitcher, all those different apps that people well, are on.
1: Along with spoiling what's in the main trilogy, including the lantern slides, right? Uh, we are, of course, going to talk about what happened in seasons one and two, because it's kind of hard to talk about season three without all of that. And we've also already covered those, so there might be some things we don't address here because maybe we felt that we discussed it very in depth when we covered these books. And you can find all of those episodes, again, in the same places that Chloe said. We already read through and have episodes out regarding books one through three of his dark materials and we also covered some of the outer novellas right we discussed
0: all yeah, of we... the outer oh, novellas my God, we're
1: done yeah we did
0: <laughs> for now for now i'm hoping that we have some new ones but we've covered all of the novellas which can be found at our patreon for the patron bonus episodes in the stranger tier and above five dollars and up at patreon.com slash girls And we've also covered some of the outer trilogy, right? The companion trilogy, La Belle Sauvage, with hopes to cover the secret commonwealth in the future. Yeah,
1: eventually. And it sounds like we're not the only one with hopes to cover that series, right? It sounds like there are talks uh, going on right now with some of these production companies, you know, some of these studios of maybe they will continue stories in the His Dark Materials universe's (laughs) <laughs> i was like plural i would plural. love that i would
0: love that <laughs> yeah. the many worlds of hdm cinematic universes i love and then
1: it also if you want to join in discussions we've got something uh in the new year
0: yeah our patrons and friends over at the discord which you can get lifetime access to at patreon.com slash canon uh thunder tier and above Ten bucks and up will get you access to our private server where people are not only chatting all day long about His Dark Materials, and when I say all day long, I get up, what, like 5, 6 a.m., I'll wake up and look at my phone, and there will always be some new posts from someone, from one of our friends in another world, talking about HDM, Uh, and also, in the new year, our friends will be hosting a weekly discussion on His Dark Materials Series 3, because, as Eliana kind of mentioned at the top, There's a little craziness with the release schedule of His Dark Materials. Uh, You know, in the past, some people have had to suffer and not get to see His Dark Materials exactly the moment it aired-ish. And every season, I feel like there's a victim of the HBO BBC crime of the airing schedule. And this time, I don't know how they did this one. It's kind of insulting. Right? Like this is like a UK thing. It's kind of insulting. The UK does not get access until December eighteenth on the iPlayer. All at once. So they get it all, they can binge it for the holidays, which is exciting. But America, they're experimenting and they're dropping those puppies two by two every Monday. So no. well, I think night. it is,
1: right? I think Monday actually used to be especially a prime time. It might be because a lot of people stay home those days on Mondays, so
0: I mean, everything's primetime on true. HBO. That's true. It's
1: not TV. It's HBO.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I-, I guess this might be, what, our time to air our minute, tiny little grievances that it kind of feels like our season, our show here, got fucked. They just didn't care
1: in time? Question. Yeah, mark, I just felt there wasn't very much marketing. It. Agreed. Like, the-, the release date was kind of... It wasn't, like, announced till much later. I wish that there had been a little more fanfare. Like, even you know, a new episode dropped, right? The new season premiered, and it wasn't even, I think, like, the very first title card or whatever that showed up for me when I logged on to, what, HBO Max or something. And I feel that that should have been the very first of the cards that shows, especially because they have my data, right? I watch this series. It should be something that's announced like that. Uh, And... I don't know, uh, I'm hoping that they're releasing it this way because they think that's what's best for it, because this is kind of also part of for the course now for HBO Max, right? They're releasing a lot of shows, two episodes at a time.
0: Yeah, just to see how that functions for the bingeability, for the, the brain, the chips inside of us yeah. that go ding when we watch a show, which is fine. I mean, it is just a, a noticeable difference. I mean, look, we have a bot that posts the tweets <laughs> for the official Twitter account in our channels, and it was weird because we had a few new tweets in the last week that were like, okay, Series 3 is coming, and then Monday, it was like every hour they had a tweet scheduled to go out, and I was like, are we just just advertising this today? It's weird because the past seasons, there have also been some really interesting fanfare mm-hmm. for the fans, right? Uh, Series 1... I would just like to bring up the blanket event real quick. No, that was
1: two. That was series two. First, series one. Oh, it was two.
0: Sorry. Series one was the demons, the sculptures, which we didn't get any of. So in series one, there was a great viral marketing campaign they did where they gave some fans uh, some personalized demon sculptures. And then in series two, there was a box that they sent that had some candies some cute little themey cute whatevers. And then there was a blanket, everyone. And the blanket had the His Dark Materials logo, what, monogrammed in the very mm-hmm. small corner or threaded yeah, in the small like corner. Which, and I and Eliana, both were quote-unquote winners of this marketing scheme exploit. And one of us got the box and the other did not. Eliana did get me a blanket to make up for it, by the way. Uh, But I never got my blanket. I never got my sculpture. And now there's neither. (laughs) There's neither for series three. I mean... I was like, what are they not going to send me this season? Right? I was getting excited. I want to know what they're not sending me. But it turns out they're not sending anything. It would be
1: actually kind of fun and cute if they sent out like little seed packets? I think that'd be fun. Environmentally conscious and and in theme i think that could be cool if they sent like some seeds and
0: oh seed pods i think
1: seeds could be fun but also yeah i got the i got the blanket and they sent me some gummy candies actually some of it was chocolate i think and some popcorn if i'm not mistaken and a deck of playing oh, cards and a poster
0: do you even play I with don't, these playing cards? But I could. Do you even no. know where they are right now? <laughs> God damn it. You heathen. Anyway, yeah. Just an interesting spin down the block of their advertising for the prior seasons and I don't know, you have uh obviously HBO put their whole asshole into hot D. Into House of the Dragon, which if you watched House of the Dragon and read Fire and Blood and want to check out our coverage, that is over on our streaming services as well. But they put like a hundred million into advertising that because they wanted it to become, you know, they they I mean not only wanted it, they needed it to become the next big thing, right? They they gotta try to reawaken that brand and make some move off of it. And to I wake get, the dragon. Yeah, waking the dragon is their future, but. I would have liked them to, you know, kill God a little with us. That's all. I, I would have liked them. I, I just feel like this show is actually really under, like, undersold to the public, right? Like, I feel like the people that I do know watching it, there's not a lot of them, and I want more of them, too. I tell them all the time. Uh, but I feel like it could have reached a
1: bigger yeah. crowd. And also, I mean, at least, like, the, the account was interacting when the episodes were airing. But... Yeah, I agree with all of that. And also, it was a strong premiere, right? It was a really strong premiere, and they captured a lot of those moments from the books well, and even fleshed out some characters, and we're going to dig into that.
0: I loved it. Overall, I don't know what your overall rating of uh, both episodes is. I'm a strong somewhere in between 9 to 10, 8.5 to 10, somewhere in the higher range, I'm thinking. There are a couple things we're going to get yeah. into, We'll we'll save them for the episode. We're going to, you know, we're going to kick back and just chat about our, our fave parts here. What was your, what was your rating and what was your favorite part part? Yeah, I don't know. I think I
1: uh, probably are the same as you, right? Between eight to ten or so. Like, it was really strong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Favorite favorite part of the adaptation or your favorite scene? What what was the My part you loved? My favorite scene
1: from these first two episodes is... I'm just, like, not a very deep person. So when Will is finally talking to Baruch and Balthamos, right? And Baruch is trying to find where Lyra is. And then he's, like, relaying this information, saying she's in the world of the demons, etc., and Will's like, oh, okay, we're gonna figure out who this woman is. He takes out the alethiometer, and then, just as Baruch says, and her demon is a golden monkey, Will suddenly shuts, and he's like, it's her mother. <laughs> I just thought that was, like, fantastically <laughs> done, very comedic, and I found that so charming.
0: I love that it was, like, she's with a woman with, and he's like, you don't even have to finish that sentence, dude. Like, I already know exactly what you're yeah, about to touch as soon as he's, tell-
1: he's like, a golden it. monkey, Will's like, no, never mind that's He's like, I'm not even gonna find it. Not
0: even try. worth it. I think my favorite part definitely the Ogunway backstory. Uh, he was kind of a blank slate in the books. We discussed that a lot in our final book coverage and I, I mean with what they've done with the angels and what they've done with a lot of the other bits of adaptive stuff in the show, I was interested to see the expansion of his world and the world building and I really like some of what they've brought so far uh, as well as how they're kind of leveraging that tension to show why he's going to join asriel i was kind of surprised at where we got him i thought he would just already be established and we'd just learn about him but i like the show instead of that the showing yeah because i
1: remember we had a lot of questions of like where did he come from etc like how did he meet and i think this is something that was implied in the books but i just never picked it up that and this is something we did discuss during our book coverage, like, is he also from Asriel's world or not? But this made it very clear that he was not. And I, I think part of it is, like, we don't want to animate more demons, but...
0: <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good point. <laughs> I actually didn't even think about that with his demon, like, not... not
1: yeah, <laughs> and, and I don't think his demon is there, right, in the book. So that that's a giveaway, no. and I didn't really think about that. But yeah, it's... It makes sense that they would flesh it out and show us how a gunway is there. And they've given him very much, I think, a leading role or, or supporting character. Mm-hmm. I don't know how all these like tiers work you and I were discussing.
0: Yeah, definitely supporting to Azriel's lead character. And I like that he really stood out. He didn't just have conversations with Azriel yeah. too, in this episode. We see he has other conversations in these episodes. And uh there's something that I just trust inherently about the His Dark Materials team when it comes to making some of these adaptive choices some I there were a couple in these episodes I'm like I don't know how I feel about that but I'm gonna let it slide but this was one that like a couple things happened and part of my fangirl brain my first reaction was like what and then I was like huh nice and that's a good feeling that means good they did good
1: it's also good because like Especially for older audiences, they're gonna wonder how did this guy get here? How did how did he get recruited? Especially if he's yes. going to be a key leader in this rebellion, right? So, it, it's good that they gave that sort of. They built out the character, which they also did very well with. Uh, as we discussed, Charles Latrum, R. I. P. Area sixty nine.
0: Arian 69, that he killed it as Charles Latrum. And he actually gets mentioned in this episode, or in the next episode. Okay. Uh, Marisa says something about him to mm, Will.
1: That's right, that's right, when they were discussing mm-hmm. that time that they briefly saw each other. It was a very stressful time. This was. This is also a stressful time.
0: If only Freud was here today. <laughs> well... The Enchanted Sleeper, episode one, is written by Jack Thorne and Amelia Spencer. Give them a round of applause wherever you are right now. Don't worry. I know people are looking at you funny. Just do it anyway. Uh, I loved the open. It was a Zafania voiceover, right? So we get New Zephania. New Zafania just dropped. And it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings Mm. prologue. Uh, Where they have all the clashing and this is the great war of old and also like the Valkyrie stories and Thor Ragnarok, one of the best movies of all time. So great exposition, amazing lore drop and also great because it takes like a third of the lore in the book and it's like now you know it, you don't gotta worry about it and I found it clever dropping it like that, like, to catch you up to speed, here's everything you're missing for why we're going to war with God. I
1: agree with that, and they're not really hiding behind, (laughs) they're not hiding it, right? They're not hiding or trying to couch some of the stuff that like was an issue when they tried to adapt the series the first time. Visually they're like, this is about attacking and dethroning God, right? Like They're not trying to beat around the bush, they're like, yeah, you might call him the Father or the Almighty, and I'm like, all right,
0: you might. Part of that
1: is because, of course, Philip Pullman is very inspired by the epic poem by John Milton, Paradise Lost, and a lot of that opening sequence, you know, that voiceover really, really, I think, cameras home some of the moods of Paradise Lost in the beginning. That idea of like vengeance. They they explicitly say that they are seeking vengeance in that voiceover. They're not talking about liberation, really, in the same terms that Azrael is talking about it. And that idea of using vengeance very much is part of that driving and that beginning of Paradise Lost, as they're discussing being cast out of heaven and having to live between the worlds. Like, they're not living between the worlds. They're in Pandemonium, uh, which we'll discuss a little bit probably later on or in later episodes. They're in the city of, like, the demons, kind of, uh, the fallen angels pandemonium in Paradise Lost, but there is an idea of having to traverse into a different world, the world of men. And so a lot of these early two episodes, especially with everyone talking a lot amongst themselves about why this war matters and the different factions sort of c- trying to convince each other to be involved, I think feels a little bit like those different speeches, that, like, debate team stuff going on at the start of Paradise Lost. Uh, again, when the rebel angels are cast out.
0: Yeah, and the vengeance part, right? Like that was so loud that it wasn't in this overture, the angels aren't trying to make nice or make yeah. peace between worlds. They are making war. And it really made the interactions later with Alarbus, the captured angel and Zephania yeah, very interesting. That's
1: true. And they don't really they're they're allied with the humans, but Alarbus points out, like, I don't know. Do the angels really care about humans that much? And you can see that with Baltamos being like, "I do not give a fuck about really any of you." <laughs> so, Will shouts for Lyra in the dis in the darkness, and he's searching for her throughout the world, cutting to and fro. It's a fun little montage, and I'm kind of wondering how long has Will been searching for Lyra in the books this happens immediately after the death of his father, right? Like when he discovers that Lyra is missing and meets with Baltamos and Baruch. But there is like that gap of him trying to find her. It, so it's like a little bit tweaked, but I think what works well for this montage is we don't really know the time span and Will might have been searching for years and in doing so kind of helps address that Our actors are growing up in sort of like uh, some of the changes (laughs) that they've experienced.
0: I have two thoughts to this, Eliana. God bless your heart. Uh, First of all, does it address it? Because I was yelling at my screen, that man ate Will Perry. (laughs) Right there, officer. This man on my screen, this young man, old man on my screen ate William Perry. And we have to find him um right here officers just kidding but that was my first thought i'm like damn these kids are adults now how did this happen uh that said that said my second thought is there are two types of people in this world the type that has to worry about how old they are and how much time has passed and the other type that knows it's tv yeah
1: it is tv like i mean they hire these kids at an age where like they were on the cusp of being kids, and then a few years passed, and the thing about being in puberty and a teenager is, your body goes through a lot of changes during that time. I know, because that happened to me. It happened to you, too. Been there. We we have done both done it. this.
0: I came out like this, okay? I came <laughs> I just out like just, just cena, like this. You know, My poor mother. busted
1: out of that <laughs> Fully grown.
0: Yeah, poor Roger, because the next scene we get like Lyra dreaming of the dead world where Roger's shouting her name, and I'm like, oh, Roger you have even he Roger is big yeah. he is grown he was such a little kid like what what happened well and COVID doesn't exactly. help right we shot this through COVID it should have been a successive handful of years with books of dust following um we cut over to Lyra who has awakened and the golden monkey and Coulter are murmuring her name
1: absolutely, and this comes up later, right? Lyra can't find Pat Pan as soon as she, like, awakes in that weird place, which is probably, I don't know, suburbs of the dead or something. And it speaks to that idea later on of Pan being, like, I couldn't go where you were. And of course, that me. We'll discuss that in a bit, but for now.
0: The most important part. Oh my god, we have a new intro. Oh man,
1: Oh man, I forgot oh, man. that you we were gonna who... get a new intro. To be honest, and then it happened, and oh, then I, I was like, "Oh my god, what a wonderful surprise for me who forgot!" Well, I, I like knew that things were gonna be different, but I didn't
0: know it was gonna be so <laughs> different.
1: <laughs> 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 We are in wow. Latin. I don't talk this language.
0: Yeah. Yo, it's good, good. I mean, I had to listen to it before the show because you got to kind of get in the mood. Mm-hmm. Right? Pre-game. Sometimes you just got to pregame and get pre-game a little. Game
1: mm, yeah. Mm, mm.
0: When I say, Lauren Balf, drop your mixtape. <laughs> He already has. The music's yeah, already out. True, but. True.
1: Absolutely. And. I. Yeah. I, I'm going to be real. Because I can't understand the lyrics. And also do not speak Latin. Are there new lyrics this season?
0: <laughs> Who knows? Oh, that's interesting. We'll have to ask the Dusk podcast. Maybe they'll I know.
1: Think, well, Lauren Balfe usually will say. But like, yeah, they might be able to tell a little better. Well, Something that I thought was really fun that changed in the intro is we see that zooming out of the trees and up close as, like, the dust that makes up the silhouette of the trees, etc., is dusting around. Dustily. Resembled to me, yeah, dustily. Kind of, like, what it looks like when people recreate images of synapses in the brain firing or like I, I went to this exhibit of like the life of a neuron and it really kind of looked like that with all the branches and then like the lighting up and it, I think that ties really well with how dust is supposed to be born out of conscious thought.
0: That's amazing that I was wondering because it looked like I mean it always looks a little medical mm. Not to be a weirdo, it always always has like a medical look to it, but that's perfect. Um, not unlike when they had the machine, the cave, yeah on Lyra making it work or on Mary making it work with the nodes. True. I yeah. love that. Yep, yep. Uh when I saw the cube, aka Metatrons. I mean, we got a Metatron drop, what, in the second episode? Ice cream. I
1: thought that was really, like, obviously there's, like, the angel thing, but then the fact that there was a cube, same, I was like, oh my god, it's the thing, it's the thing. And we actually have spoken a little bit more about Metatron's cube back in season two, episode four, when that actually did appear in, as you were saying, right? Like, during the cave, the cave computer. So.
0: Yeah, the cave was kind of like just the foreshadowing for this season of what was to yeah. come in a way, which was awesome. Really well done. Really well used application.
1: Also, there were some flying figures, and I think those were the harpies.
0: Yeah, uh, they showed us the flying figures that looked like the harpies. We see the intention craft, right, zooming in and out of the worlds, which was well done. And... I thought the harpies in the world of the dead right there were really cool and especially because they're not hiding it, that they just put it like right in the dead center. (laughs) Haha, dead center. My favorite part, especially because all of series two, you know, we used to wait. Every intro I used to watch would be like, did he change it? Did he change it? And if you have listened to our Hot D episodes, you know I'm always on intro watch for that show, which you have to be crazy to be on intro watch for. It is not an easy intro. And this is.
1: I don't. Well, I'm just like, Chloe, tell me what is this?
0: <laughs> yeah, I sing to you my story of my people, a.k.a. me, every week. But in series two, every time i like, we're gonna see the Mulefa. I just know it. We're gonna see them someday and they're gonna add it to this. I know it. And they didn't. Mm. However, they have done it. The Mulefa are here. They are here. That stack was amazing. That The Mulefa and the trees. My heart soared. Wow.
1: It was really cool that like that's the final world that they're focusing on but it also kind of made me a little emotional and tear up for a second like when i was watching it rewatching it for preparing for this episode like that that's the final world like that the final thing in the intro is that focus on the garden of eden and i was like (laughs) my babies
0: the trees the trees with all of the dust all glowing upon the roots it was so beautiful and and sad
1: (laughs) anyways um Also, what did you think? I realized that I think this is the first time that the intro actually had very clear representations of both Will and Lyra, right? Not just like silhouettes of them, not just their backs. Like it is them in the intro.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It was great to see them almost, not like zoomed in, but yeah, he's definitely much more clear than he was before in the intro. And I I was really happy to see their representation, both of them, because it's about them, right? Even in the, uh, the, last times on his dark materials they represented him well which was great and I will say having him be that lead protagonist for us in episode one with Lyra out cold nothing new there is that he kind of gets to take the lead he gets his kind of somewhat cocky moment with Yorick and he gets to kind of go to Marisa and Lay down the law and has the power in the situation of how he wants to yeah. be able to get out, you know. Until but then his he knife shoots breaks. a guy, <laughs> so exactly. Really
1: gonna...
0: Maybe guns aren't for you. Yeah.
1: Well, they kind of had him like reluctant about that role that he had in the previous seasons, which I think is good that they're taking it a little slow because, like, what kid is just like a killer, right?
0: I love when he set it down, yeah. right? Like, when he was like, no, this this is different than the knife. This yeah, is not Yeah, so me.
1: I think that they will explore that a little more. They were really hammering that that idea of him being strong home these uh, episodes. But also, and I guess this has always been the case with the intro. This is just something that i realized now. This has been there since season one, right? With the, yes, the dust, like, right after the dust exploding and looking like angel wings, which we've discussed before. I realize that the dust in the next scene of streaming upwards actually looks like it's the dust leaking through the cracks, which is what, turns out, the subtle knife does every time like, a little abyss or like window is opened.
0: Yeah, I didn't really realize that flow until you mentioned it. That's amazing. i has been
1: there the whole time. I, maybe someone else has discussed it and I like, oh. just forgot, but sorry. <laughs>
0: I need to watch it against the old intro now. I really do. Unfortunately, I need to check it out and just like see what else I can spot that's different because it was very subtly done, but... except for like the intention craft that no, was that not was very subtle.
1: Clearly, a spaceship esque thing, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's kind of what we open with, right? Yeah, that's that's the very beginning is Azriel's crash landing. That's
1: True, yeah, and. Part of it is because he's struggling to use the intention craft, right? Stelmaria is giving him these... Or Stelmaria! Sorry. (laughs) Pronounced a little differently.
0: It's Stelmaria to me. Telling him to
1: sort of like clear his mind, right? Which is very much the same way that both Lyra and Will use their respective tools. And he, he struggles with it, right? He struggles to do what his daughter can do so easily. And I'm also wondering... Did it look like the intention craft can jump worlds to you, not just sort of, like, boof-boof, teleport?
0: Yes, it absolutely did, and you know, in the books, I don't think it specifies that. However, when you think about it, that intention craft does get around more than I care to go track, and when thinking about it and all the places it went, I'm like, did it cross worlds? It might have crossed worlds, it and we did just didn't have to notice. It did at one
1: point, because in the we don't get that sort of like told to us because when Marisa escapes with it from Pandemonium, that is in a that is in yes. a different world, right? That's in the same world that like the the land of the dead leaks out into and that is not the world of the demons. She obviously gets there into the magic. That's what I thought. We're not told. I think I'd assume that she finds a window and goes through it. This makes sense.
0: This makes sense. Yeah, and this was one of those thoughts I had when I was thinking about their adaptive uh, their adaptive genius that I was sitting there and like, because at first I was like, it never said it could go through worlds. Like I had that annoying voice pop up and then I went, wait a second, didn't it though? Like without telling us, without telling us. So I think that's so cleverly done because they pick up on all of those off-page details and bring them to life. And not all of them are winners, but this definitely is, especially when you consider if Marisa uses it to pass through worlds, I mean, it, just what? Like, it would take so much more concentration, intention. Uh, I mean, we think about the intentions that the knife will need repairing probably in the next two episodes, That's right? That's so
1: true. It will, it will. Ooh. Strong themes. I'm excited now. I forgot. I'm really excited to see them repair the knife. Why don't they show us Yorick repairing his helmet? We'll get there, sorry. I'm still so confused. Uh, I will say also... It's nice to see James McAvoy again. He wasn't a big part of season two because of COVID. You know, it's just nice. Atonement did things to me, for me. Professor Xavier, Hmm. you know.
0: Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Good to... I'm learning so much on this podcast today already, and we're not even in the thick of it yet. I love it. Uh, I loved Coulter and Ama. Mm -hmm meeting there was so much to love about it right Uh, a great sign language scene great representation of bsl and i love having sign language and fantasy scenes well done right my favorite was in the magicians there was a really well done scene in the magicians it's one of my favorite episodes if you're into the magicians you gotta check it out but there's just this moment with coulter where it's like First off, the show goes from like sci-fi all of a sudden to fairy tale, right? You go to the hut in the woods where the witch is living and it's a seduction in a way, it's alluring, right? Come to my cabin, little child. And it blends so seamlessly that you go from Azriel's crash landing out of worlds to Coulter, mm-hmm. you know, the seduction of, uh, of, you know gobbling a child back up in a way. And there's something really carefully shown of Amma's demon, the squirrel, like has to get down at one point to follow her as she goes toward Coulter, where you don't really realize it till they go inside the hut and she shows her Lyra, but the monkey's not outside at all. The monkey's far inside. So there was almost like a very intentional showing of the demon and showing like also where the power is, right? That Coulter's like, well, you have to come here. I can do whatever I want. I don't need my demon, but you and your demon... Even if your demon wants to stay back, have to come in here to see what the enchantment is. It was really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And it's something that also I was wondering, because like, the changes they did with Balthamos, he's mm-hmm. not playing the role of Will's demon, and no one seems to think it's suspicious that Will doesn't have a demon. So that is something that I wondered about is not suspicious of like where's your demon? Right? For example, and also when he first comes to York, because that is in the world of the demons. No one's like I guess they're just too relieved that this kid took care of their bear problem to be like, Where, where's his demon? <laughs> and of course, like he could have a small one, who knows, but um but absolutely, like, I, I didn't catch that the golden monkey wasn't there and as you said, right, it's Mrs. Coulter gobbling up kids again. She's just that's just, like, what she does. She's just really good at that. And, like, it, it's a great tie to the first season. They have a lot of other great ties for Azriel's arc back to the first season and reminding us of things. Um, and as you said, that kind of seduction. And it's very, it's very eerie because she says to Ama, this is our secret. And I'm like, stranger danger, stranger danger. Because, like, that... They showed us a video in health class... When I was like, I don't know, in middle school or high school. And, and it was there to kind of warn you about adults who take advantage of children in very inappropriate ways. And it was about, I'm I'm just going to trigger warning, sorry. It was about an uncle like molesting their nephew and saying this will be our little secret. And no one ever forgot that moment from health class. And that's what that reminded me of. And also I want an apron dress like Amma's.
0: We gotta work (laughs) on your segues some of these days. Yeah, it is Stranger Danger. I mean, what were we recently watching? Oh, House of the Dragon, where there's also like a keep this between us secret in an exploitative relationship with a power imbalance. Absolutely Stranger Danger, and I will have you know, I looked up your little apron ama dress today because some people have the power to make this happen. Mm. So if you're good, Santa might deliver it. You just <laughs> never know. <laughs> Thank you. you. Just never Thank know. You. I was like I was on Google, I'm like, Ama apron dress and nothing came up. So I had to get a little more creative. But I just
1: thought it was kinda cool how it like, you know, comes in triangular and stuff. It was neat. Stylish.
0: Almost like those somewhat v-shaped overalls but like with a skirt or something but with this instead i like it it's very cottagey very you this could be your new look the whole part
1: like all of those scenes with mrs coulter and lyra and even with ama etc it was a it was very cottagecore
0: yeah they were living their cottagecore fantasy out but that unfortunately has to end
1: (laughs) just like the story in a few episodes
0: ah uh, meanwhile will was spotted by the angels and after a little no go away uh they cut to another world it was a great first look at the angels and i was trying to get a better look maybe next episode we'll have a better look but the embroidery on the huh. angel cloaks almost looks similar to the intro with strands of dust embroidered on them there's kind of like a very cosmic look with like gold embroidery and some strandy looking things and some blue bits kind of highlighting around it very good i thought those were
1: tears but yeah i think you're right that it is something like what what you're saying little sort of dust-esque patterns or the strings and turns out as we see from how they're portraying these angels they could do the shimmering effect that we discussed which is how the specters are described in the books turns out they they were capable I doing that on TV quite a few times and mm-hmm. I guess it, it really makes you think about the similarities between specters and angels, one devouring dust, one made of dust. Anyways, but I guess it also makes sense that they didn't want to go that direction visually for the specters because they wanted to make both the angels and the specters distinct on television, especially for new audiences.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a certain from like that meta level of production, right? There's a certain part that like it's obviously it's way more expensive to consistently yeah. have them phase into that look. So we saw them phase in between a couple times or like kind of phase out and in. And I really liked that. Uh, later there's that great sneaky moment where a Larvis appears behind Baruch mm-hmm. and you almost don't notice him and then you're like, oh my god, there's a shape in that sky. It's very cool that they're using it intentionally, oh my god, they're using it intentionally and also, again, I imagine it's not cheap and easy to consistently sure. do that and it's easier for a actor to wear <laughs> some crazy contacts and possibly, if you're Baruch, some whiter face than the white you already mm-hmm. have on up close and like, oh man, there's some cake in guys, there's some cake in going on and be bald, like as long as like you could just wear the robe. It's a good medium for their human suit, right? And I think that's the other part of it is they can phase in and out of whatever they kind of want, right? They could transform themselves into demons yeah. in the books. So this is the, the least scary, crazy look maybe for them since they're around humans so much more in this war. I think there's a couple good in-universe reasons, but I do think that I likely... For example, the intention craft, we watch Asriel, as you mentioned, struggle on and off with whether or not he can really intentionally use it. And we see the angels kind of phase in and out a couple different times in both of the episodes. So I thought that was interesting to keep that theme going of that in-between space and of, you know, of putting yourself in that mode you'd have to be in for the knife or for the alethiometer. Yeah,
1: definitely. And regarding how they're styled, I think even Zephania, they added like... Did it look to you like they added like, yeah, shimmer, Shimmer. like gold highlight all over or something.
0: That girl had Fenty Beauty, (gasps) gold highlight, up and down her. She was out there like a beautiful disco ball. Good for you, Zafania.
1: Also, just throwing it out there as the holiday season comes around, y'all got holiday parties. I think that like the shimmer stuff that was in, that sort of frosty look, during the two thousands with like the shimmery lotions and stuff. I've seen those being sold in a lot of places again, so that's in again, friends.
0: If you're ready to cosplay Zefania or cosplay Baruk or Balthamos, it's weird because Baruch is like <laughs> Baruch has like Uncle Fester makeup and I feel like it's unfair. Like he just has like white white makeup on. Well, and Balthamos looks just like kind of cool. Yeah. He he's chilling and sad. He's chilling and big sad, but like Baruch, I was like, how'd they give Zafania this beautiful, creamy Edward Cullen skin, but they didn't give well, you and then shit? They
1: gave Alarbus goth makeup. They like gave him like the dark under eyes, and I'm like, oh, he got, he's got that, yeah. like ball paint. Some
0: of them are like, so angels have different like sub pop cultures that they, <laughs> you know, like to look like or can look like, you know? Yeah. Zephania's got that dewy, glowing look going mm-hmm. on, right? She's all about 2023's top trends. Slash you have, depending. Oh my god, exactly, that's true. Thomas. Okay, that's true. Check me no, on the it's timeline. Bu- no, but it really is. Uh, it's... It's yeah, about, it's it could back. work either way. You got Malgoth. Oh my god, it could work either way. You got Malgoth on a yeah, larbis. that's
1: true, that's true. You got that back.
0: Balthamos and Baruch are kind of like that wonderful gay couple who like... They theme, right? When one goes one way, the other goes the other way. Mm. They really complement each other really well in fashion, and I love that for them. Except for
1: the part where one dies, um, that I do not love for them.
0: Well, and he had a really bad foundation, and he should have gotten that fixed. Also,
1: when they introduce themselves to Will, they're like, do not, they say, don't be afraid. It reminds me of how, like, constantly in the Bible, something like, you know, some, some heavenly figure shows up or whatever, and he goes, be not afraid. <laughs> and you're like...
0: <laughs> That's great. I didn't even notice that. It just reminds me
1: of that idea, right? Especially because, like, some of them, they show up to Ezekiel, it's, like, three-headed figure, shit-tons of wings, it, and I can understand but you're like, be not afraid! And we're discussing how they can take different forms, and they, I think, more or less explicitly say, yeah, we picked this form, like, for you, and that speaks a little bit to how they are portrayed in Paradise Lost, right? Some of the rebel angels or like rebel faction. Um, they're described of those male, these feminine, for spirits when they please, can either sex assume or both. So soft and uncompounded is their essence pure, nor tied or manacled with joint or limb, nor founded on the brittle strength of bones like cumbrous flesh. But in what shape they choose? dilated or condensed, bright or obscure, can execute their airy purposes and works of love or enmi- enmity fulfill. So this is canon.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. They're changeable, mutable, like flame. Yeah,
1: or air?
0: <laughs> or air. They flow. Yeah. They're spirit. I mean, they're everything that's within us, and everything that's within us is So that is everything. a look
1: Baruch chose.
0: They are who they are.
1: So Azrael and still Maria do a prison break of some men together with the Galavesians. Chloe's like, ooh, I don't like that pronunciation. They free a gunway like and it. co.
0: Yeah, we get our first look at the Galabessians so early on, and I don't know what my deal is the last few weeks. I've been in like kind of a Dune kick, but I haven't been rereading it. I haven't rewatched it. It's just like everything is reminding me of Dune. Mostly because Dune is, like, very formative of some of the books we have today that follow a, a hero's journey, right? And also the downfall of a hero's journey. But the Gala Vespians have a lot of changes. Some I'm not happy about, but some I'm getting used to. And one of those is their wings, right? They fly on a dragonfly, usually. That is kind of, they're just little thumbelinas, as we've talked about in our past coverage. They fly on dragonflies, and they're very deadly assassins otherwise, and they really leaned into the assassin side of this instead of the thumbelina size. We do not have the dragonflies, they have their own wings. Their wings, though, are kind of like ornithopter blades. Right, A machine that's designed to fly by flapping its wings in an imitation of a bird. If you saw Dune 2021, oh my god, if you saw Dune 2021, uh, was it 21? Was it 22? If you saw the new (laughs) Dune movie, (laughs) you'll have seen this helicopter that I'm talking about. It basically looks like a little hummingbird helicopter, but their wings are very interesting. I'm definitely disappointed in the books. They have these super important eggs right from their from their dragonflies and we do not have the dragonflies we do not have the eggs i uh i'll get over it but interesting that they took them so ninja assassin rather than fantasy folklore assassin
1: yeah i agree i i don't mean to be like you know like wedded to this thing in the books but it, but it was something that i love right and it lived before lived with for like i don't know pfft. 20 years of my life now and yeah I liked the eggs okay I liked the eggs and the idea of there was just that really visceral and intimate thing that I loved of how the Gala Vespians kept those but dragonflies alive by feeding them off their own blood especially in the world of the dead but as you said they really took the aesthetic like very assassin style but like spy assassin and also kind of like you know, maybe is it like this idea of going against the system kind of reminds me a little bit of the Matrix. You know, ladies. Very <laughs> yeah.
0: Matrix. I especially, especially agree. I thought so too. They're very Salmachia, Matrix. Yeah,
1: right. Agent Salmakia. very Trinity. Speaking of the odds and <laughs> stuff, and <laughs> absolutely Trinity right. coded. Absolutely, and absolutely. As you said, like as opposed to going that Thumbelina you know, or like or even like some of the other inspirations that felt really like they came through in the books of things like the Borrowers, or or the Lilliputians from Gulliver's Travels, which you know the the the, the Lilliputians like take down like the quote unquote big people, right? Like, so it's something that I I get it, I get it with the aesthetic, etc. For the other things, but I'm just like, you know, I like I like the dragonfly aspect.
0: And for what it's worth, in the moment, I didn't think about the dragonflies. This is just after watching it twice that I was like, huh, I do miss the dragonflies. I was genuinely so excited that we got three Galavespians in our very first Galavespian scene. And then we got another. Like, that was cool. I liked that part.
1: And I guess aesthetically, does it play well with the parallels, right, with the angels? I don't know.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. We'll find out. I'm looking forward to finding out.
1: I also love a gunway being like, what the fuck is going on here? When he's like, why is there a leopard? Why did it talk to me?
0: I like that he's kind of getting, he's getting kind of like an intro plot, which is funny because we had that from Will last season in some ways. And in season one, I would say, you know, you have Lee Scoresby kind of as the outsider that joins up Mm, at some point. point. Right. So you have like these outsiders joining in and learning these people and their ways, and I really like that he's getting his own introduction plot from the very beginning. And I'm curious how they're gonna, how they're gonna make it work for. Will he have a meaningful end to his arc? I don't know. I don't know yet. They got to bring it home for me because he doesn't. I mean, in he had the book. a meaningful
1: end in that he was part of this great revolution in war, right? But now we see that there are personal. Yeah. For him. So as you said, like how's that gonna work? I think I I have faith that they're gonna pull it off. I think.
0: And I have some ideas yeah. too of how they will. So to then be we fair. have
1: Daphne Keene's dad. I'm sorry, wait. I meant father. <laughs> will Keene <laughs> McPhail. But actually, literally, her dad. Stanis Baratheon. <laughs> At the Magisterium doing some physical punishment and censorship because of heresy of his own kind and of his own kind.
0: Also, I have to put out there that uh, Hitler Youth Kristen Cole. Oh my gosh. I mean, father gomez i mean daddy dom gomez yeah <laughs> enters what he's very into punishment i'm very interested he, what is going on there
1: a lot, a lot of uh yeah very uh very kind yeah. of sadistic characterization Dark. also father mcphail has a new title now it's furrow king bradley from full metal alchemist <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely giving Führer King Bradley, but no, he's Father President McPhail now. And the Pantone twenty twenty three color of the year. Viva magenta.
0: He is wearing the fuck out of that color. It's very royal, right? Compared to his fellow yep. people.
1: Yep. It's kind of funny because they're both in a way like jewel tone versions of slash like the magenta is kind of an off version of it. They're like the colors usually associated with the Virgin Mary. In art and painting, oh yeah, uh, that's true. The Virgin Mary is portrayed with a blue cloth or robe, and the inside of the robe is or like cloth is red. That's a typical language to signal. This is the Virgin Mary in artwork, and speaking of artwork, Father King Bradley Macphail does not like that the people are reading poetry, and I thought that was fantastic a obviously we've been talking about the influence of poetry on this books <clears throat> paradise lost but also the inferno and
0: songs of experience innocence. and innocence comedy in
1: general exactly exactly and also he literally like quotes poems at the beginning of like each chapter so <laughs> pretty pretty on the nose there but also that they are so distrusting of poetry and find it so evil really stood out to me in regards to things like the cave and how Plato and that idea of symbols like weaves into this story, right? Because in Plato's Republic, Plato actually is very distrustful of poetry and poets as well, right? He fears uh, their rhetoric and like how and perceives poetry as an even further version of the truth right the true forms from the world of like the ideal because it's incredibly like uh removed this sort of imitation and mimesis and it brings people away from that so I thought that was really interesting especially when we bring up the idea of this republic that Asriel is building right this republic of heaven that Pullman is working towards in this story and that's Poetry is at the heart of what's building that, right? Not just, like, this idea of being able to move people and, again, rhetoric is a big part of the beginning of Paradise Lost, but, like, being able to articulate ideas, language, and and how even things like the alethiometer, right, that's poetry. It depends on metaphor, on symbolism, and words being able to hold multiple meanings at once
0: yeah it's the fear of people being able to form together and communicate right in a language together i mean it's really interesting because then you have uh this fear of the influence of poetry this fear of like people actually uniting under it and also symbols like you said because we see throughout these episodes that lyra and will are major symbols for them and that's what they need to destroy is symbols. They can't have symbols of, you know, the rebellion. Standing tall and standing yeah, proud.
1: absolutely. And...
0: A prophecy's one thing, but... That's true. They're more than prophecies now. I mean, if you kill them, they're martyrs. no one
1: knows that they exist. Which is what they're trying to do.
0: Nip it in the bud now before the songs and the poems get exactly. bigger. We get some exposition on Baruch and Balthamos's relationship with Will and what they're searching for. But Will, my son, oh, my absolute tall, giant, old son, uh, he says that Lyra is the most important thing and that he doesn't give a fuck, basically. He's like, that's really cool, but if it's not about finding Lyra, it's on the back burner. Yeah,
1: Priorities. Ugh. God bless Will, or not God bless. Hmm so when Baruch and Balthamos kiss there's also this moment that I love in which it looks like they're shimmering even more it looks like dust is streaming from them which is foreshadowing for when Will and Lyra kiss and what that all means and also Will brings out the alethiometers like will this help you track Lyra Right? it's something of hers kind of like how I guess Father Gomez uses I don't know if that's Lyra's dress or Mrs. Coulter's dress to, like, sniff and track her, though. I have a very mm-hmm. funny tweet about that moment, if anyone wants to go check that out.
0: Please. Please do. That's a good call, though. I didn't think about that, that they were trying to track Lyra uh, using something that's probably got her dust all over it. Her filthy dust yeah. prints. That's true. We pass by Dream Lyra and Dream Roger, who are in a bus station in hell. I yep,
1: should have made it the DMV and Azriel then goes home and meet goes home with a gunway and uh, meets his family.
0: I loved this scene. This is definitely one of the one of the favorite scenes of the episode, I think, for me, because first of all, this is a fucking nightmare for Asriel, and also very compelling. Asriel shows up, and it's like, wow, imagine if your kid liked you. He's like,
1: imagine if you liked your kid, right? So many people were tweeting that. <laughs> that it was too. so funny.
0: This is what a family looks like. And not just that, but then I loved in the background while Asriel and Agunway talked, you could see Agunway's family, and not just his primary family but their chosen family yeah. as well right like their brothers in arms fellow soldiers that they treated like family and they were in the background just being together and warm even with like drones flying overhead all of them the introduction to the daughters was something really i don't know i really loved getting to see that kind of contrast and him having a family uh we notably didn't meet a partner we'll talk about that later I have ideas of why, but the first daughter we meet, Machi, she has many different main. There are many different name meanings for Machi or etymology you could look at. Like in Hebrew, it means to decrease. Uh, there's also a Japanese meaning that I didn't snag before this. I did notice in Swahili it means to march, and I wondered if that was any given anything you know when the writers decided what to name her. And of course, her sister Aria is named. A tad bit, ironically, right? Because Arya usually, usually with more obvious roots in like air and song, depending on what language you look in. Uh, but also in Kikuyu, in central Kenya, it means to speak. Is how they kind of take that word. So she does not do that any longer. I get it. I get it. I see where they're going with that. No Just sound. Like, was no that
1: song? How am I supposed to breathe with no air? But
0: supposed <laughs> to breathe with no
1: I air? I really like that song?
0: <laughs> But how? Do you expect me? I don't even remember. No? I don't okay. know
1: the words because I always, I think, change whenever that song comes <laughs> on.
0: To live, where I can't breathe. Because the world revolves around you. It's so hard for me to breathe. Tell me how I'm supposed to breathe in no air. <laughs> Anyways, so, little musical interlude. That's not a lot. A Gunway's daughter, we get introduced that Arya was cut by the authority of their world, the temple, and they call being cut training for their own war i kind of took that as like their version of reprogramming and it does make me wonder do you think the drones are their world's specters it's something
1: kind of? like that it, we did get that implication especially because in the next episode they're like yeah the drones won't go away anymore kind of like how the specters like settled upon chitakotz so it seems like there's some sort more of and yeah more. parallel that is intentional Mm-hmm. of how exactly, like, what Azrael says, this is happening across all of the worlds. And, yeah, I thought that was interesting what you said about the names and, like, their origins. And I don't know. I'm just curious, like, about that process. I, I- I'm probably giving way too much thought to, like, this world building. It's just something that, you know, like, we called out when we were reading the Amber Spyglass of, like, where is King Agunway from? Because they call him King Agunway and just say he's, like, an African king. And I'm like, it's a whole-ass continent with, like, a bazillion cultures. And Agunway is a name that seems to be associated with Nigeria and specifically within Nigeria, like, Yoruba people and the Yoruba language. And there is actually, you know, his his accent is some sort of i can't like tell things apart when this is like very hypocritical hypocritical of me because i can't tell apart like different english empire accents (laughs) within like the uk to an extent i can tell some but like he it's clearly some sort of british accent right and there is a large british nigerian community in england due to, you know, the transatlantic slave trade from West Africa, but also it being a former British colony. But also so was Kenya. And that East Africa, right, is where Swahili is mostly spoken. So I'm just kind of curious, maybe his partner, right, who, or a former partner or multiple, right? We don't know. Like, what what is their culture like? Is it like the Egyptians or something with this, uh with this sort of guerrilla group family? Were they named by her or like whomever or like it seems like a community as you said this chosen family of very mixed nationalities so that makes a little more sense and brings that in in, into you know focus as opposed to how they had it in the books he's not a king he's a commander which helps kind of explain all that and also the title of this episode is the enchanted sleeper and Arya is another enchanted sleeper if you will actually one. yes not drugged one
0: uh, they haven't obviously revealed their own version of the map that's true maybe they're just pulling a pullman on top of their map and just going remix who knows i thought it was interesting yeah. it's great to bring them in yeah. either way and i think we will get to know more about whether or not he has a partner or you know i think you're right his you're gonna talk status? about it you're gonna talk feel about
1: it but i agree I agree. I'm
0: amping up. Mm -hmm. We're edging everything. Uh, Oh, my God. Another Dune reference. Hold on to your seats. Uh, I love when they enter, and then they exit out to the back where everyone is, and it's a garden, and it reminds me of the Arakeen Conservatory, Mm. this hidden gem built on a mansion amidst the war, the desert, the land, the Dune. It was constructed by a governor as a bridal present to his fourth wife, who was from a water planet called Humidus. Hmm. Uh, and the room was basically, I mean, the Freeman hated this. The room, they thought it was a waste of precious water and it was a status symbol oh, yeah. and they called it a weirding room fit only for witches, which Jessica, the lady Jessica has some time spent there. Uh, I i really, that was really neat. I was like, oh, it looks like the, the room at Dune, you know, they have the, the garden in Dune. Yeah,
1: that's a great call
0: a little place of comfort and a little hidden gem of beauty that they have amidst their war-torn place cuz i mean there is a feeling of refuge there right that they have banded together as survivors in their own rebellion and leaders of their own rebellion and they are surviving so having that garden there is kind of nice their own secret <gasps> garden their own Yeah, it is. garden. Their own It Eden. is their
1: own Eden and i think that that's a great observation on that symbolism because it's not just that, as you're talking about, it's this area of beauty, right, and it, it's an, it's kind of like an art, right, and people, that's human.
0: That's what they're fighting yeah. to protect, right, their family, they're in that gorgeous little garden area with all that greenery around, and everything that they could really need if they have each other, and if they can survive, is that. And that's, I mean, that's a story, right, yeah. like, keeping your loved ones safe do you love your loved ones? Do you keep them safe? How do you keep them safe? How do you love one another? What matters? Does matter matter? These are all questions that we're going to talk about in more of this series. My last thought before I know you have something wonderful to come on in with is, okay, Asriel, talking about, you know, oh, it's only bad when the Authority does it. Asriel, it's only bad when the Authority does it. Balakwa, I see you. Oh my god, him oh that's so bad that the temple cut your daughter is it is it so- hmm. right and I, he does
1: address it the next does does episode. his daughter have a best yeah, friend he does kind of talk about it next episode but i thought that was so funny he's like they mutilate kids and i was like fascinating that you think and? that's bad asriel <laughs> i i think they they've done a good job of showing that this is hypocritical though as is a hypocrite so oh, yeah. i
0: the whole two episodes. Absolutely. The whole two
1: episodes. I appreciate that, that they're not lionizing him. Or leopardizing?
0: Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Snow leopardizing.
1: Speaking of spots. So, the camouflage that gunway and the other people in his community are wearing, it's made by paint splatters. And it, it it's obvious to us, we read these as camouflage, but that is actually how camouflage was originally made in our own world, right? According to Gertrude Stein, when in, what is it, the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. when Picasso first saw the French military wearing camouflage, he said, c'est nous qui avons fait ça, or it was us who created that. So cubism was in fact a large inspiration for camouflage clothing. And in fact, the military employed artists in order to create camouflage during World War One, which is, I think, really fascinating. Because again, when you consider the role of art in rebellion, right? We're talking about poetry, which is also art. Uh, Plato was also like, art is suspicious too. And it it that's what's happening, right? We've discussed also cubism and the modernist art movement modernist capital m uh that sprung towards the end of the 19th century mostly in reaction to world war one with that lost generation um and a lot of part of that movement included poems like t.s elliott's the wasteland which is another poem where you can see those influences on historic materials
0: Pullman is inspired by cubism when it comes to some of this, so it's a really great catch. I'm not going to spoil the Outer Series, obviously, Mm. but in The Secret Commonwealth, there is a new way to read the alethiometer that Pullman has actually said is based on cubism. It's a disruption of classical perspective, which incorporates presence of time.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And then they're attacked by drones.
0: Fun. But Lust cubism. We talked
1: about that for a second, um, I guess, and speculated already.
0: Yeah. Flash over to the Magisterium, where Father McPhail is doing his new favorite art form, which is staring. <laughs> He's staring at the art of Adam and Eve, and he charges Daddy Gomez to stop the prophecy and Lyra. However, there's going to be several more meetings about it, just so you know, because this is a bureaucracy, and they can't get anything done in just That's one actually scene, i learned. so. Yeah. I am amazed at kind of the adaptation they're doing with gomez here because we know from past interviews they're not doing a certain character we'll talk about in a bit the duolipa <laughs> but he they had so many scenes to get him some screen time huh father gomez is really out here getting his screen time yeah i i don't know what to. i think. guess they
1: just didn't have the budget to hire duolipa you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> his, uh, <laughs> to be in that world he gets a demon. They did have a budget for him to have a demon, though. And he has a white spider that is so creepy. A little bone-colored spider. It crawls out in this scene. I was like, Wah! Yeah,
1: and they changed that from his beetle demon in the books. And I don't really care about mm-hmm. the differences between a spider and a beetle. So that doesn't...
0: A bug's a bug yeah. to me. Yeah,
1: I guess, like, a beetle's more... What is the word that I'm looking for? Annoying. Mm, actually, I like beetles. Um, Maneuverable? Because they fly? Yeah. You know, you don't have to carry it.
0: More wing. But it -hmm. doesn't
1: really... I don't care.
0: Hey, the legs were creepy enough for me. Yeah, it
1: was a very scary spider. He seems like a scary dude. They're gonna launch this man's career.
0: Uh, Pan pleads with Marisa to let them go, but it doesn't work, and Marisa stares out at the great, deep, dark water... (laughs) Ha ha, you thought I was going for the abyss. We still have some episodes before that, but we we get and appreciate the foreshadowing. Thanks, White (laughs) Lotus. The angels, right? I'm like, okay, we get it. Someone's going to die of fun. fun. The angels try out the alethiometer. They like give it a whiff. They're like, huh, I'm going to find Lyra from this. And just from looking at it, smelling her dust on it, truly, I'm guessing. I mean, it's got to be connected to her viscerally. I mean, she spends a lot of time with that alethiometer. Uh, they say to Will that she's with a woman with a golden monkey, unharmed. Balthamos will take Will to them. Baruch will take the news of the subtle knife over to Asriel. And
1: then Father Gomez reads the alethiometer with Fra Pavel and tells him to do keep trying. Pan tries to wake Lyra to escape and the golden monkey keeps an eye on them, but lets them pass for a second. And then outside, it's bright as fuck, and Pan doesn't believe in Lyra, and nor do we. Uh, but then comes along <laughs> Mrs. Coulter, and she, she's so... you know, she, She's just all like, oh, Lyra, you're so funny, trying to run away all the time. It's like, so, so condescending. Lyra's obviously too weak to run away, and Mrs. Coulter then just, you know, drugs her again with the handkerchief, and off they go back into the house.
0: Yeah, those muscles are atrophying as hell, first of yeah. all. I'm like, that girl's got some bed sores. Um, but also, this scene, this is totally me when I haven't left my house in weeks because I've been working from home and I've been binge drinking on the yeah. weekends and I have a good parking spot. Like, this is a mood. <laughs> that first day that you leave the house and the actual sunlight pierces your eyes, I'm like, wow, this is horrible. It was, I felt the staggering. In fact, I have to do that in the morning and I felt the staggering. That Lyra had to it's do it. It's so there. funny
1: the the staggering like out of the bed. I guess it's not really funny, but when she was doing that, I was also thinking, like, I felt that feeling before. I was like, that's me after a night with Chloe. <laughs> 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 More than uh, once.
0: don't forget it. <laughs> that was your last warning. Uh, uh, Azriel continues to try to convince O'Gunway to come over to yeah, his world.
1: Again, that this is the moment where Asriel's like, they're mutilating children in every world. I'm like, yeah. Look who's talking. And then also, I don't know, he's just giving, like, this whole certain need of a whole new world to a gunway.
0: Oh, instead of a whole new world, a whole in your yeah. world.
1: oh. More a than once. A whole in
0: your world, boom. Because he just, like, busts the whole, <laughs> busts into the hole. Whoa, busts whoa. The, anyways.
1: James McCaboy. Um, So Marisa. <laughs> Marisa also. Uh is staring out a window, and the monkey tries to kind of comfort her in some sort of way, and I and I get it. I get it. They're waiting next to a window.
0: Come to our window! Absolutely not. Yeah. Palthamos and Will discuss the alethiometer, and they seek a ship, but instead, they find King Yorick Bernison. Real dad. Okay. Real dad. This is, uh, again, this is all happening so fast. We have a lot of time to cut through. Uh, Their meeting kind of mirrors Lyra and Yorick, becoming friends and establishing trust in one another by that kind of display and performance with the other.
1: Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of highlighting those parallels between how Will connects with Yorick and Lyra's first, like, some of those first meetings. I thought that was really good. And what was especially good was you know york being like it would be shameful to fight you and he's like you are as weak as an oyster out of its shell and that i think was the best line in these two episodes and i think i'm gonna just start saying that to people like you are as weak as an oyster out of its shell
0: (laughs) yo there were great Yorick one-liners i really loved it i i was i was that was the one thing is like I was happy to see Joe Tannenberg oh, yeah. return. Not see, but hear Absolutely. him return. For sure. Yorick Is rocks. he still
1: my rival? Absolutely. Um, but, like, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if they ever need you, they know where Absolutely. to find you, Yorick Jr. <laughs> exactly. Um, Why are you cutting his soul, Will? Right. I still need Philip Pullman to explain this. Philip Pullman hasn't explained it. And then the council, which is what I'm calling our revered writers and executive producers here the council elected to continue the dumbass decision set down by philip pullman and <laughs> i have elected to ignore the dumbass decision but um, at least this one's easier to fix than
1: will be just like sitting there kind of like peeling it into a bunch of like confetti yeah
0: that was pretty rude in the book but also like yeah it's just one I mean, sure, easy to fix, but have you had your soul cut in half lately,
1: Eliana? I have not, and I do not intend to find out.
0: Well, either way, I didn't like it. I would like them not to do that to him, because it's literally explained. Right. It's basically a soul. And then,
1: like, his face being like, oh, shocked. It was like, I was hurt for York Vernison. I was hurt for Bear Dad.
0: Yeah. That said, did the knife get upgrades this season? Because maybe we got to reach out to our... Friends in the props because it looks good. It has like a new shine mm-hmm. in the light. Maybe it's just seeing it in the light. It just looks brighter, shinier. Maybe so. Maybe so. I'd like to. Like or to he know. cleaned it. Oh my gosh. I mean, what could else is he going to do
1: like while looking for Lyra? He doesn't have his like smartphones now.
0: Like a little knight yeah, with a sword, but it's Yeah, a like knife.
1: Ned Stark at the Godswood cleaning his sword that's uh that's what he does at night
0: what has he been eating anyways
1: uh it's actually a good question i don't know
0: oh i thought your time skip solved everything I know, he can, like
1: cut into a market steal some food cut out
0: you mean he's been criminaling this he whole time? already
1: he's a murderer he's already a criminal <laughs> he i don't really consider at that a least criminal one person
0: lyra logs on i don't consider that a criminal
1: she's like that was actually good in fact
0: criminal yeah that's my man
1: i love how in all the scenes about lyra though they keep saying that like she will i don't know do this or something or they keep saying she's being held against her will right and i'm like oh she's being held against like her will (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, she's gonna be Whoa. held against her will. Whoa. 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 Whoa, all right. Innocently. It's innocent cuddling. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, Get they here. held hands at the end of these two episodes, and that is the lo- yeah, they that's together. the that's the luddest thing anyone can do, hold hands.
0: Yeah, I've read that in Jane that's Austen. McPhail and Gomez talk. Gomez plans to go find Lyra using uh, unofficial... Techniques. Gomez then unleashes a spy fly on Lyra's scent, like you said. Following that scent, mm. uh, we talked about how the dualipa, the dualapi, the dualapi, the burbs have been removed. Which, in my opinion, that takes a lot of the nuance of Father Gomez's mission out. So it seems like they're actually funneling some of Book McPhail to him now, uh, and it seems the first half of the season he's going to be active in the field looking for Lyra, probably before the bomb. Um. I don't know how I feel about it. I know there's contracts to fulfill. There's all sorts of stuff. And he's great. I I really think Hitler Youth, Kristen Kohl, is a good, like, he's brought a lot to the screen already. But the spy fly was smart because most of your viewers will remember the little fuckers from Series 1, whether they've read the books or not. It is not a spy fly in the book, right? He is actually on the hunt of... Well, the Mulefa and Mary Malone yeah. and the Dua Lipa. so it's a completely kind of different plot. So this was a great way to connect him to the plot and make it all feel like there's a purpose instead of the 50 different magisterium meetings that we yeah, need. Yeah, I
1: don't like one version, better or worse. We'll see how the season plays out, right, in terms of how they're, they're interpreting Father Gomez's character. But as you said, it is a very marked change, and they are playing him up more as a villain, which... I understand why they're doing that based on where her storyline goes. Yeah, they they kind of are like having him take on that more active role, and he, I I do wish there were two Lopi, but again, I understand that you know Dua leap is a very in demand artist and might have been.
0: I just a feel out of the like budget. it's an important. I don't know, like the you shoot. It's. Yeah, it's the themes. It's like that against just the Magisterium, the Mulefa, and Mary Malone, and Lyra, and Will is one thing, but when you add the Tualapi, it it makes it like a whole different thing in that like, it shows that cycle that our world operates on because of yeah, that.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: The Tualapi don't have to hunt the Mulefa and take their land. It's that they're also being hunted, and they're naturally predators.
1: The Tualapi, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They... And they're being provoked. Well, they're
1: just also out here to fuck shit up, and now they're like, "Let's fuck it up even more."
0: Because we've been provoked by Daddy Gomez, exactly. Which is funny because this whole episode, Azriel's talking about, or this whole two episodes, provocation of the re- of for the rebellion, right? Like the big goal is piss them off enough that they pay attention to us. And he talks about that yeah, a lot. Yeah,
1: and Gomez kind of taming, I guess, and using the tulapi is a little reminiscent of you know Mrs. Coulter taking control of the specters so it's kind of a lot of stuff going on there but
0: this book has a lot going yeah let's on. see yeah. let's see how it goes like we're getting harpies and we're getting the land of the dead so i mean i'm happy and i'm just pointing out these are definitely yeah it's just some stuff that i feel is central to the themes yeah. that's all yeah i feel that something that
1: is kind of fun though in terms of not themes but maybe visual motifs is the decor of the magisterium Uh, as you said they have like that cool old room with all the adam and eve stuff it's interesting that they went more of this like austere aesthetic um this sort of like more western military style not that the other style of churches were not western because they very much were because they take place in the west but yeah, I don't know. I recently visited a bunch of like those old churches from, you know, medieval, like Renaissance times. And I was like, dang, this art is amazing. Like, if I were a person during the time that these were made, came in and saw these like sick stained glass paintings and all this stuff, I'd be like, yo, this is really, really cool and majestic. God is for sure real. And that would definitely move me. But, They didn't go for that aesthetic, but what is fun is, again, they went for more of that militaristic authority, like, kind of pared down, showing, like, the, the lack of imagination and thought, and I thought it was cool that some of the way that the lamps that are on the wall, those sconces, the way that the light comes out of them, is a little bit reminiscent of the angel's wings, and even, like, the way that they make that sort of cross uh look not all of the crosses but some of them like in the the wall tiles etc also look a little bit like that three-pronged wing of how they've portrayed the angels
0: that's a great call visually i really love the there's something like you said it's not pure majesty right but it's like got a very imperial and authoritative feel about it and very still beautiful i mean even in the the wall tapestry thing of the adam and eve right like that was kind of more of the classical look what you'd imagine if you closed your eyes and thought of the big church where god lived or something you know like if you just looked at your most ridiculous fantasies in your brain uh something like that artwork was a little more traditional yeah you could tell that it was older and you could tell they've gotten away from that in time yeah that's what it used to be and now it's about this more modern look
1: absolutely so then there's this montage next like of a lot of people and we get a reprise of like the theme song kind of but like remixed which is (laughs) Uh, and will and york are embarking on a boat And speaking of season one parallels, it's a little bit reminiscent of, you know, the Egyptians going to go rescue children who were kidnapped by Mrs. Coulter, but now it's just these two going and rescuing only one child kidnapped by Mrs. Coulter, but, yeah.
0: How do you know that it's an HBO show? Why? There's an epic moment near the end of the episode where our (laughs) protagonists do something where they have an aerial view, where they have an aerial view or another view, and you know they play the music, and it's really grandiose. That's how you know it's an HBO
1: show. Absolutely,
0: ladies, gays, and theys. That's how you Speaking know. Speaking of drones,
1: those <laughs> drone shots, you know.
0: Them D- drones, yeah. dem thrones, oh. dem drones. Oh, oh! Yeah. Finally, Azriel convinces a gunway to join because he shoots his portal. He shoots a shot oh. into the sky. And uh, they have a great conversation that makes me think of what we might see later this season, where they talk about death. And uh, Asriel says, Death is a lie. And he says, Ogunway responds that he's wrong. Death is real. He's seen it more than his fair share of battle. And it just reminds us you can't really have life without death. And that concept of finding your own death later on and facing your own mm. death and not being, do not be afraid, right, of your own death because. It's always going to be there waiting for you around that corner.
1: Very true. And Azrael being like, I'm going to save everyone from, you know, whatever that fate is that's death. And I'm like, no, you're not. It's going to be Lyra.
0: Not one bit. Lyra. (laughs) You're not the fated one. She (sighs) is.
1: I wonder, yeah, how they're going to flesh that out. It seems like they might actually address that for his character.
0: I kind of feel like he's already going towards it, right? That he's like, no, I'm the chosen one. And then it's going to be like, oh, my bratty child that I don't respect is the chosen one? Huh, how'd that happen?
1: Yeah. He's still in like his tsundere phase. And they have this conversation of like how humankind can't not stand against its creator. And yeah, it's that conversation of how rebellion against those who make you, right? Against your creators. Like, I don't know, your parents. And how Lyra stands against both her creators in terms of her parents and also creator, right? The authority. Yet, interestingly, the magisterium also is trying to destroy the mother of us all, which again, in a way, kind of another war against the creator.
0: Well, let's find out what Eve gets herself up to in episode two. The Break, which was also written by Jack Thorne and Amelia Spencer. We launch off with Balthamos explaining he can always feel Baruch, who we then watch fly away. Uh, Baruch flies away with this gorgeous rainbow spirit shit, just like their kiss, just like their weird rainbow barf kiss. Now he has a rainbow fart cloud following him, and I love it, Uh, but another angel appears in the back watching him. And you know, we talk about some of this stuff with, like, churches. One of the prettiest things of any church, of temples, of mosques, is the ritual of it all, right? Um, there's, like, a very quiet reverence and some some rituals that just feel very beautiful and traditional and old, and the stained glass, right? Like, uh, the magic of light coming through colored glass. That's what it looks like when Baruch flies across the sky. I feel like there was a lot of, thematically speaking, uh... Bonds, right, came up a lot in this chapter. And Balthamos has a talk here where he says, I feel as one, though we are two. And later we have Marisa talking a little bit about that similar bond of love, right? Of love, unconditional love, or just love. And it was interesting to see brought up so soon.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. They're they're talking about that idea of love in its different forms and this idea of being one and torn apart early season, and there's also this, like, one moment where, you know, like, Balthamo says something about, like, protecting the one that you love, and I'm like, dang, they're just out here, they're just giving it all away, that yes, the love between Will and Lyra, and, I mean, as they should.
0: (sighs) Marisa fingers a locket, looks like it could be an important locket for our plot, I was thinking. Uh, and a spy fly drifts down and finds them. In Lyra's subconscious, meanwhile, she's asleep on a dock in the land of the dead. And she wakes and promises Roger she'll find him. In real life, she wakes up to Pan, who says he couldn't follow her there.
1: Yeah, and again, um, that's why... It- we discussed about the land of the dead not being able to go there, but also, I don't know, she just feels so vulnerable being at the land of the dead, and, like in her pajamas. Like, I'd be so mad if that I went there, like in my flimsy jammies. And
0: <laughs> yeah. it would be horrible, right. very vulnerable. Right.
1: Like, I don't know, give me at least some pockets, or I don't know. I do love Daphne Keen at the edge of that pier screaming roger i just think daphne keen is so good at screaming right i don't know if any of you watched what is it logan which is the first time i ever saw her yeah she's so good at screaming and you know also a little like how will was screaming for where's lyra at the beginning of the first episode
0: a lot of yelling a little bit of sleeping and a lot of yelling same yeah We take a little intro dance break. Uh, and then we open up on Azriel's compound with a gunway where we are introducing Ruta to a gunway. And she has this kind of not cute little comment of, I chose you, by the way. You know, I-, I can go to all these worlds and I checked out your work and I was impressed. So, you know. Uh, and they enter his fortress Azriel's fortress to check it out and i have to say i think there could be a love story on the rise i Eliana. agree
1: it definitely felt that way i really feel like they were trying to kind of highlight that meeting between them and them like sizing up i agree
0: cuz there's a lot of mutual respect right yeah. and later they kind of have a conversation that actually convinces him that, like, maybe he should join this crazy ass fucking guy's war. Uh, like, realistically, they both kind of looked at each other. She's like, Look, I know like what you might see and think of him, but I trust him and I think you should too. And the respect that she earns from him at the front of the episode helps there and helps to convince him to come along. And I think they're going to have a good bond. And I, I see them as a, a Pecklesby. Mm. 2.0, you know, as a Lee and Serafina, or a Serafina and Quorum. Yeah. 3.0. Really. Especially because they're
1: from different worlds, right? So they wouldn't, they'd have mm-hmm. to part, and then... Yeah, and they also didn't even include Ruta's having a, you know, being lovers with Azriel so...
0: This, this really... I've been very surprised they've kept it quiet. They I are... I assume it's not
1: the case, right? Like, in this, especially if this is what they're going towards.
0: Uh, That's kind of how I feel, is I'm like, we haven't heard anything about her and Asriel banging in the last season, So, and they didn't do anything yet in this season, and they had a very respectful, good meeting, solid meeting, and establishing of characters for her and a gunway. I'm just saying, I think a romance plot is on the rise, but like every His Dark Materials romance plot, I'm going to need us all to cool it, because you know what usually happens (laughs) at the end of a His Dark Materials romance plot? Nothing good.
1: Nothing good. Actually, for real, though. true. <sighs> well. We have the council room and the remaking of the intention craft. They discuss labor and dust. And I, I don't know. I will say, like, I am confused about this version of pandemonium. And will there be more volcanic, fiery, brimstone stuff later?
0: I was kind of, yeah, I was surprised about Azriel's, But also... I didn't know if this felt like the only part of it. Like, maybe there's deeper into the mountain. Maybe we haven't seen the deeper parts, but I expected it to be a little hellish.
1: Yeah, and, like, I don't know if it was a budget-slash-filming constraint of, like, where they could film or something. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessary, I guess, but the vibes, to me were great in terms of, again, creating that connection between pandemonium and the idea of Asriel as, as a stand-in for Satan, right? And, and that rebellion mm-hmm. in Paradise Lost, etc. And how that place is described.
0: Maybe it's very Zack Snyder of me, but I see it just very gritty in my head. Yeah. You know, darker yeah. and... I was, it's was uh, The whole... That might have thrown me off, and I don't care, but it's like the first two episodes were very bright. Yeah, believe it or not. No, yeah, that's
1: true. And like, I I know that's like kind of is that annoying of me to say because I know we critiqued like the first season for being too dark, and
0: now we're complaining because right? it's too bright. Yeah, I, I think
1: know. that they the like the the brightness etc. Last season they hit it so.
0: Yeah, it was perfect. And maybe it'll
1: get darker, right, as as the wars and stuff happen. That's what I was wondering. But it, I just feel like, I don't know why, Azrael came upon a place that was full of, like, brimstone and volcanic activity and decided, like, that's where he wanted to, like, set up base. That seems to be what's implied in the book, and it's fine. It's fine. I just, you know, you have an image in your head for a long time, so...
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, now It's for us it's about adapting to these images. Adapting to the adaptation is going to be, mm-hmm. that could be a story. Whoa. Adapting to the adaptation.
1: Whoa.
0: <laughs> we get our first Mary scene. I can't help but put a smile on my face when Mary Malone is on screen. For me, it makes me happy. Yes. Uh, Mary has her Yijing, her sticks, once more, and she's mapping in a journal and figuring out where the fuck she is. And she comes upon a village where she finds, you guessed it, two orphan girls, different orphan girls than the last three, Uh, two orphan girls in the camouflage of a gunways world. They haven't seen Lyra, but a drone hovers overhead. So yes, Mary Malone has adopted new orphans. Classic. I was surprised to see this scene, but I like it. Uh, Lorne Belf's Mary theme here is like out of control good. It has that light tinkle of hope and innocence and childlike wonder. And it makes you so excited, in my opinion. Like, it just makes me go, ah, ooh, what's going to happen? Yeah, I feel
1: the exact same way about Mary's theme. So I'm excited every time it happens. I think they've done, as you pointed out, right, they have Mary drawing maps. And I think they've done a great job of emphasizing how Mary is a... Very capable explorer as well, right? In the same rights as Coulter, Azriel, and Joppery. And I noticed that one of the youngsters, right, that she comes across, so I don't know if they're, like, meant to, maybe, like, non-binary or trans or something, one of the youngsters is named Joseph Blakely, according to the closed captions.
0: There is a boy in Lyra's world named Joseph Blakely in Series 1, Episode 6. At registration outside, following the fire alarm going off, one of the nurses calls his name. But we don't actually know if it was a his, so this could be... Do you think this is that child? That could be
1: Joseph Blakely in another... Yes and no, in that this could
0: be that child in another
1: world. Because they discuss how, in parallel universes, right, the same person is there, but, like, different things happen. So this could be the same Joseph Blakely, but... Yeah.
0: Interesting. But like not
1: interesting. That same this Joseph is in Blakely. the demon cages. Yeah. I'm like this is a Joseph Blakely, same soul idea, etc. But like not born in the world of the demons.
0: Yup. In the demon cages. Tommy Lindsay here, Miss Lizzie Brooks here, Miss Joseph Blakely. And this is when she finds Roger. Yeah. It's Ooh. literally happening in the background. Very interesting. How fun. And I have to know, do they have a Joseph Blakely? Do they like somebody is someone's kid named oh my that? God. Someone got their kid in twice. That's actually fun. That's interesting. So I'm I'm wondering if that's another world version of Joseph Blakely, huh? Hmm.
1: I think you found hmm. a very good Easter egg.
0: A little, here are the Easter eggs you've Yeah,
1: we didn't get dragonfly from eggs. From the break. We got maybe some Easter eggs. So <laughs> Marisa meets Alma up the road, and some of the herbs have been destroyed from the salt, which burns the roots, which Mrs. Coulter says aloud, which Alma obviously, I guess, cannot hear. So suspicious, very suspicious of you, Mrs. Coulter. And Azriel takes counsel from Lord Roke who brings word from Lady salmakia who intends to find Lyra, who is in danger. And he's like, oh, of course she's in danger. She's always in danger. And out at camp, Baruch fights an authority angel and then gets dragged down, shot. Baruch delivers his message and dies, whispering Balthamos' name. They take the enemy <sighs> angel hostage in the intercision chamber. Meanwhile, on the boat, Balthamos suffers as Baruch dies and I thought yeah absolutely and then like I thought it was interesting how like they had his like sort of form shake as though it like hurt him so much that it threatened the integrity of like how his dust holds together and then they did a good job of like really showing since they didn't show his pain in another way but showing it as him like blaming Will that that was a good way to adapt that
0: yeah I imagine we might get a little bit more in the next episode too of just some finality of the grieving. Yeah, that's a good we'll point. We'll see. The spy fly returns to Gomez and drops a pin, says, This is where you need to go. Ogunway is pretty upset and about this whole Asriel stuff, and this is when Ruta and he speak and kind of come to Jesus about what they want to do. That's a bad choice of words. <laughs> they come to Jesus about what they want to do. I'm keeping it. keeping
1: it. I was like, No, nah, that was great.
0: Uh. The next scene was wild and honestly really parallels well with Coulter right, and her torturing of a witch, but Asriel experiments on the other angel, Alarbus, in his dust chamber to get some answers out of him, and he asks him about Enoch slash Metatron, and Alarbus is like, don't call him that Metatron, it's his real name now. Uh, We see Alarbus go between forms. Coming off of Balthamos and Baruch there, that's a great point that we then see Alarbus go between forms, but then as the torture kind of, you know, gets a little intense, he can't control it, he's going in and out, in and out, so that should tell you a little bit about Balthamos's emotional state, right, against Baruch. Stelmaria actually tells Asriel to stop. Stelmaria's like, this isn't right, like, this is kind of fucked up, buddy. Then Alarbus says that dust is not for him to understand. It's for
1: Lyra to understand.
0: Lyra. Lyra. couple fun things about the intercision chamber. One, nothing's fun about the intercision chamber. We're no better than the enemy, right? Is that not the first thing that went through your mind as he did this to the angel? and Like, I get it. You got to torture info, but it was that feeling of war, right? That, like, no one's winning. It's war.
1: Lyra and Will are, you know, their own side that is better than all of these sets.
0: Azriel <laughs> does say that the intercision chamber is lined with adamantine. You know, is the root of adamantium.
1: Yeah, it is it is mentioned, you know, we we also discussed adamantine before. I don't remember where it was. It actually might have been like in in these areas, right? Like um of book three or so but adamantine chains as well like are mentioned quite a few times there's there's a couple of adamantine uh things mentioned in paradise loss it is an actual substance within the context of that as well it's like the gates that hold pandemonium or shit
0: well and it's also an archaic form of diamond uh, right Yeah, yeah. so it does remind me i would guess that it's going to be part of the cage with the authority. That makes
1: sense, because he's supposedly in a crystal ball, but adamantine makes sense for what it is. They never... It yeah, might be, Lyra yeah. Lyra Will, because it's kind of from their perspective, wouldn't know what it was. They're just like, oh my god, rescue the old man.
0: <laughs> oh no, there he goes. Oh no, god, he's falling apart. Oh god, he's just a bunch of oh snakes. God, oh god. god. <laughs> uh, oh god, it was god. We killed god. Fuck, but shit. But they don't know the that. They're kills just like, god. oh wow. That... What a sad just man. Like, oh,
1: that sad man's now dust. He looked real happy. Goodbye. <laughs> Grit man, rip man. They don't even know what they did.
0: <laughs> we don't really even. That's Anyways, true. uh, we do. We do. The thing about the scene that I want to bring up, when I was watching it, the thing that stuck out to me the most was I was like, oh, Alarbus, like from Titus Andronicus, right? Mm-hmm. This is a name straight out of Shakespeare, straight out of Titus Andronicus. And he's Timora's eldest son and a goth prisoner of war. And he's kind of the proudest prisoner with the most to break, right? The most resilience to break. He gets chosen as a victim for the Roman's ritual. He doesn't actually have a speaking role and his presence is really brief. He's on stage for like just a couple scenes and his death motivates Timora's revenge when it comes to Titus and kind of raises this question of like, whether or not the Romans are as great and civilized as they claim to be. It kind of makes you uneasy watching, like, huh, maybe this is also not good, which is pretty much what happens with Alarbus in this scene. Yeah, that's a
1: good point. It is also, like, it's funny, because I I haven't, I should probably think more deeply, but it it is a, the most metal Shakespeare play, Titus Andronicus, Mm -hmm. and it is a a play very much about revenge, you know, vengeance, especially because Alarbus's brother's, tomorrow's other sons, uh, also very uncomfortably rape Lavinia and then silence her. And then they're like, remember that story where someone wrote out the names of her rapists?" And so they're like, let's not just cut out her tongue. Let's also cut off her hands.
0: It's fun. We're having fun. We're having <laughs> so much fun.
1: So what is kind of fun in the scene that is not very fun is some of the wordplay right you have mm-hmm. alarbus saying that metatron will lead an inquisition into every world which very much harkens to that historical moment of the spanish inquisition of course right the catholic church and how they were trying to weed out heretics and force people to convert to catholicism and then also while azrael is interrogating alarbus asks him like and then will his kingdom come and that is a play of course on the lord's prayer aka the our father of thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven so
0: that's so great i love it stuff. there's a lot of great religious back and forth between them they're not hiding it <laughs> Mm-mm. not at all so Mary's new orphans talk war and the temple and why they stayed behind when Azriel came. I love this view we get of the houses. They're kind of swathed in ivy and shrubbery and foliage, and it's kind of green with some gold tinges, almost like they're being swathed in dust. Ooh. Right? It was uh, just very beautiful to look at, almost like dust falling on the land, but not yet. I love the idea, too, that she stays a little longer to tell them about her mission, about Lyra, because they want to hear about her. And she's kind of spreading the gospel of Lyra, right? And keeping Lyra alive and telling stories to people about her and keeping her journey alive. And that could mean so much to these two child soldiers and survivors, right? Joseph and their siblings. That's
1: funny, because that's kind of like a, she's like a prophet, Mary is. Yeah. Right? And
0: a savior's coming. The Book of Mary. That was her book. That's her journal. The Book of Mary. It
1: is. That is what it is. And yeah, another thing that I thought was like fun, maybe not fun. I don't know. Was was good about the perspective that these these orphans give of why they stayed behind. um, Is it's another aspect on that whole like war and displacement and refugee story, right? Of like, yes, it isn't easy to make the decision of we need to go, right? There are so many reasons people need to stay or have to stay, like, whether it's loved ones or, like, it's their home, right? It's not an easy decision, whichever whichever one you go, so. We get more Father Gomez and Macphail and, like, Magisterium stuff. And then we have Will and Balthamos being sad, and then Marisa and the monkey are watched by Ama, and then we get the magisterium again with the soldiers and Father Gomez seeking Lyra. But now we have a Galavespian spy aboard.
0: Trinity from the Matrix.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I those were fun though. Have seeing the little Galavespian like uh, tune in in. I love yeah.
0: it. It made me so excited. There's a little bit more Galavespian too on the rewatch. I had to yeah. rewatch it to kind of like contextualize I'm like there's a lot of Galavespian in these first couple episodes already which is great because I feel like it doesn't happen so soon you get a little bit in the Asriel chapters but you don't get all of it up front yeah they've done a good
1: job of putting all the pieces on the board
0: yeah especially because as we've talked about they have so much to cover so I can't really be mad about a lot of these adaptive choices because I'm like you have so much book and weird shit to do on screen Father McPhail stares off in the distance some more with his demon looking very ravishing in color. But also
1: I love his demon. I don't know why I find that lizard so cute.
0: She's very beautiful, right? I just like her colors. Will, Yorick, and Balthamos approach the cabin in the hill and come across Ama, who picks up some some herbs that will wake Lyra? Balthamos signs. He helps translate their mission to find a girl, the girl. Then, of course, Yorick is like, conveniently i cannot come with you because the plot says that i am not allowed to continue with you so you go down there and deal with it and then york you know goes to chill before eating some people yeah, later yeah
1: it makes a little more sense in the books because they're already being attacked that york's like i got to stay behind
0: mhm yeah it was funny it was fine it, yeah. <laughs> uh, i was i was definitely missing the weight no pun intended of the bears here i agree we get that really great will and marisa confrontation though so it totally works that we left him behind uh and and there's this great and very sad line where they have a heart to heart right she's like you know i love my daughter more than anything in the world i get why she hates me i am the worst but i love her and i need her and only i could save her don't you get that william uh and she says to him that bond It stretches, it transforms, but never breaks. The line from here to here, heart to heart, she points, matters more than any line in nature. It's primal, it's beautiful, it overwhelms all other things if you let it. I love this compared to the beginning of the episode with some of that talk of bond between Baruch and Balthamos, right? That talk about that love that they have for one another. And this bond here, and I think it it, it parallels the ultimate break to come, right? Like Pan and Lyra. That's a, a connection mm. that, you know, the stretching and transforming, does it break? I don't know. It's something we explore in the Outer Companion trilogy as well. And I'm interested to see how Pullman wraps that up and what he thinks yeah, about it.
1: It's a question, really, like what Mrs. Coulter puts forth here. It's kind of like a an argument. And I, I'm not sure I believe it, you know, based on how Mrs. Coulter treats her child, which I think is interesting because a lot of the series is about, like, can you go against your creator and it's uh it it, it's interesting when it's put in the context of like the parental abuse that lyra has suffered she has suffered so and we also have this discussion right where where mrs coulter points out will's strength and it comes up a lot in these two episodes, and of course that idea of, you know, his name is Will, and as we joke, free will, but also it is about free will, that is what the series is about, that is what is signaled by the consumption of the fruit of the Tree of Knowledge, free will, right, and and that idea of strength, and it's very likely that Pullman characterized Will as he wrote him based on some of this dialogue from, or some of this text from paradise lost and his strength because you can really see how this this embodies him so here's that quote of like all is not lost the unconquerable will and here will is capitalized it isn't always but here they're talking about you know like one's will you know their intent slash i don't know that shit inside of you but anyways all is not lost the unconquerable will and study of revenge immortal hate and courage never to submit or yield and what is else not to be overcome
0: yeah, and that rolls really well into the next scene as well. Really
1: will into the next scene.
0: Oh, my God. We get so much with Asriel talking to the council about the subtle knife, right, about its meaning and about how to destroy the authority with the knife, and they discuss the Lyra prophecy. Mm. Asriel goes a little, okay, a full stannis on this, right, that <laughs> he's like, Lyra doesn't matter. No one fucking matters to me except killing God like, if, I, if my daughter dies in, in spite of it, that's too bad, right? Just kind of says he's going to sacrifice all, and I have to say they're doing a really good job of that tension with Azriel because he's really a full-on prick. Yeah. In, in these two episodes, he's a total asshole, and it's perfect. He's willing to risk Lyra. He's willing to risk all these things, like having a heart or a soul, but... Uh, but it's going to show such a huge change for him at the end of the season. And I had to keep that in mind. So I'm like, wow, he's coming on hard. This is great. This is awesome to watch him be a total himself for once. And I think it's good because it will give him a little bit of a turn mid-season and end of season for him to write some of those wrongs. Yeah, Steph's that same
1: guy who yelled, everybody's special in the first season, right? <laughs> like, as you said, huge prick. And especially because he yells it at the kid he kills, you know? And yeah except for you <laughs> it's <laughs> that's right except for you well that kid was special in a different way to Azrael and yeah part of it is also as you said like he changes but there's a little bit of him lying to himself especially with lyra that we see seen even in this episode and i just thought this speech and the rhetoric around it phrased with the competition constant repetition of like if i have to do x thing i will if i have to do this other x thing i will and like it he keeps saying i will and i just like the word will and how it's used in this series really stood out to me and how it's coming back to you know will perry and again that focus on free will and revenge and etc
0: yeah it's a great cycle in paradise Lost that they're really pulling for this last season I feel like they're putting a lot of Paradise Lost in already. The next scene is the angel in the dust chamber once more, and Zephania confronts them. They share a great back and forth where they both kind of call each other hypocrites in a couple ways, but Zephania prevails in the conversation because Zafania is working towards a greater good, although Alarbus is like, but what if I am too? Huh? I'm like, you ever stop and think I'm about like, that? I have
1: not. I did not stop and think about Look- that, Alarbus. <laughs>
0: Look to your sins, Zephania, Alarbus says. Zephania
1: does, like, that's the whole point.
0: Yeah, that's why she's here fighting. Well, and like we said at the front, right, it's not, you know, it's not justice, it's vengeance for her. She's the last of the rebels, right, the last survivor of the last wars, really. She's seen the times that they've tried, and this time she believes they can pull it off. Thankfully, she has protagonists like Will on the case, because Will, Balthamos, and Ama are out there trying to get Lyra. They approach at the very same time that the Magisterium does, right? And we'll come back to them in just a few, because first, we flash right back to Asriel, where Salmakia reports back. This is crazy. This is me, a noted Galavespian lover, favorite people. Reporting in that we got the lodestone yes. resonator, and it's very interesting how it was adapted. In the books, the description is a dark gray stone of magnetic iron ore, a lodestone, with kind of like a short length of pencil on a stand of wood, operated by using a tiny bow whilst pressing points on the stone's surface in a matter similar to playing a violin. So it's changed a little, right? It's not perfect, it's a lot smaller, at least the Galavespian version is, so maybe we'll still see their version. It's a lot smaller in the books. However, it really makes sense how they did it with Salmachia's face forming in this kind of dark matter, right, uh, it almost looks like dark matter that they're controlling and her face forms, giving them information. And it does look like Azriel is tuning a frequency and playing with some knobs out of frame, we don't get to see that. So, interesting how they've put it onto a screen and translated it. I had no clue what to expect other than some tiny little thing with a bow. This I, yeah,
1: I thought this was fantastic. I actually really loved this, and it was one of my favorite parts of the episodes of seeing how they imagined the lodestone resonator, and yeah, it, it looked like, I don't know, some sort of dark matter, but it also kind of reminded me the movement of it,
0: of the specters. Same. Yup, that's what I thought, too at first I didn't realize it was a lodestone resonator I was like is that because it looks like a specter's in there what does it have
1: <laughs> yeah it was I thought it was so cool and like they whenever I imagined the lodestone resonator in the books and partially because of as you said like of how it's described I guess I kind of thought it's like a fancy telegraph that goes across ro- worlds which is like that is cool but like this was kind of like cooler <laughs>
0: Agreed. So, Agreed.
1: all the plots, of course, converge on Lyra. You got Father Gomez coming to arrest Mrs. Coulter, but then Will cuts his way in and won't let Mrs. Coulter escape with them.
0: Yeah, there's a little, there's a little bit of accidental comedy in some of this. I love when Will like, cuts just his eye and is staring out at Coulter, just his eye, because Gomez is still in there coulter there's a great moment at the front of this right where the monkey picks out a big boulder piece of rock of slab from the hut and you think it's going to be for fighting right that she's going to stand and fight off the magisterium with this rock with her monkey and then she turns to the monkey and is like do your worst and he bashes her right we don't get to see that part But we see why she does it. She wounds herself in order to show them like, oh, they they escaped and they got me thinking it could help. Uh, And it reminds me of the flagellation that we had in the last season from Daphne Keene's dad, from Father McPhail, from Will Keene, where he, you know, puts his hand in the fire to punish himself, right, of his sins and scourge himself. But here she's doing it in a different manner for her daughter, Right, Her flagellation is coming from avoiding the magisterium or trying to fit into it in a way and showing them, oh, I've suffered, don't hurt me. Very interesting, and I thought it was a great part of the scene. Then there was this line that comes up, right? because Gomez kind of has this talk, and he's like, look, it's great you're keeping her your alive and safe, but what are you really keeping her safe from? She's just going to die, so isn't this just a pathetic life? Like, Why not just kill her and be done with it? Because to kill her would be an act of love. He said, which to me, when I heard that, it was great because it's setting that groundwork that, like, no, to kill her isn't an act of love. To die for her is an act of love. To die to give her a better world is an act of love, which is what Marisa ultimately finally comes That's to choose. That's a great point.
1: You have how it ties into Marisa's storyline later on. Absolutely. It's, it's a really flimsy argument because he's like, you know, let her die so that she never has to experience pain or hurt. Right. And. That's mm-hmm. exactly what the, the story is arguing against, whether it's you die literally or you die figuratively by never experiencing life because you are afraid to ever experience hurt. Yeah, the, he he talks about this image of what, what could be more beautiful than that? What could be more sweet than that of, like, I don't know, Lyra dying in her mother's arms? And I'm like, I do not think that is, first of all, how Lyra wants to go out. That is literally probably very low on the list for her. Uh, But the image of it is reminiscent of, like, the Pieta, right, of the Virgin Mary holding the body of Jesus, right, especially with Lyra having that messianic storyline following her. And also there is no good justification for killing Lyra, especially her mother doing it. Uh, But it is in other stories, right, I think that they bring that up as a really interesting point in regards to avoiding certain fates for their children like for example that is a big plot point in beloved by tony morrison which i mm, think it mm-hmm. is a completely different argument and story than what is happening here
0: and historically like infanticide is a thing especially in religious sure. yeah, context yeah. like it's not this is not i mean when you think of where he's coming from from the magisterium there there's Lots of infanticide, right? Greece, Rome at the height of their culture, even, God, Japan, China, India, British government. There's just always so many stories about infanticide and getting rid of, you know, being overburdened with children. So it's interesting because it's yet another little hypocrisy being highlighted about the magisterium, right? Who is generally, I would say, pro, quote unquote, life, unless, you know, it's of someone that costs them too much money. Jesus
1: was like pro, you know, let the children come to me. And they were yeah. like, mm, fuck them kids. Very in regards much. to some of that comedy, though, I do think this one was intentional of like when Mrs. Coulter, after, you know, bashing in Father Gomez and then going to the other room is like, oh, great, you're here. Will. you came back. I knew you would come <laughs> back for us. And Will's kind of looking her at her like, mm-hmm, I don't know who us is. Excuse you. <laughs>
0: I love that he left on his own terms, and he was like, no, I'm leaving, fuck you. But he knew now that he was in there how to measure, right? You see him with the footsteps. Yeah. Just like he says earlier that he's counting, he kind of counts the footsteps a little when he enters. So he's seeing how to cut back in so that he can get Lyra. The plan was never to take Yeah, Coulter he's like to. escaping
1: with Lyra, and Mrs. Culture's like, oh, great, we're all going together. He's just like, no, you're not coming. <laughs>
0: And because he denies her that, then she makes the knife break with her sexy motherness. (laughs) She's mother. Right, right. And, like,
1: I don't know. I don't know if I'm, like, again, too ingrained with this version of this moment from the books that's been with me for, like, 20 years of you know like in the books it's because he's looking at mrs colder from afar because she's all the way over there because shit's blowing up all over because there's a huge battle happening right now at the same time and he's able to abscond with lyra in the distraction right but
0: yeah it's a little different uh it was a little more comical than intended i think for me yeah this is subjective opinion like, when she puts a gun on them, oh, my God, I was laughing so hard. Uh, otherwise, master class from her, as always. She could sell me fucking air in a bag, and I would buy it, first of all. I just want you to know, like, Ruth could never do any harm. But I was dying because she was all like, here's our tender moment, and now your knife is broken. Oh, no, and she looks down, and then immediately she's like... I have a gun. You better fucking go if you're not taking me to, you asshole. And I'm like, wow, you just broke his knife. Give him a minute. They're sharp pieces. Like, he's got to pick those up. We got to get that repaired. Yeah, like, what do you okay. think
1: this is? And I also, I think this part was maybe intentionally a little comical where I-, I liked when she's like, what have you done? What have you done? he's like, you broke it. They're both like, you broke it. No, you broke it. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah it is they they do give I think a little bit more fault to Mrs. Coulter on that. and I think I don't know if this is like a fault or not of of how this is. We know in the books that part of why that happens is because Mrs. Coulter is goading will or not goading will, but with his yeah, mom. like he thinks of his own mother and that's why the knife breaks because that's a bond that he could not break. and that's kind of what's insinuated by this discussion mrs coulter's having with will but i've seen apparently people had who who perhaps have never read the books interpreted that as will being unable to cut the bond between lyra and mrs coulter i think that's like a valid interpretation of what we get you know thinking like death of the author stuff but i yeah i don't know i think i struggle with that interpretation because of like i said you know the abuse that lyra had at her mother and also even like you think about it, not to give too many spoilers away about the Outer Series, like, even Marissa's old relationship with her mother
0: is a bond that is broken. It is. Some would say severed, some would say it's an umbilical cord that's choking her, we just don't know. Well, another comedic moment is then (sighs) Salmakia stings Coulter, like, shuts her up, stings her, and becomes their guide. That made yeah, me laugh as well. Which I do think is intentional. <laughs> yeah.
1: But where is Chevalier Tiali's?
0: I don't want to talk about it because I'm worried about... I'm
1: worried. I just thought <sighs> he was, like, a big part yeah. of the emotional heart, so... I know a lot of my criticisms right now are just, this didn't match how I imagined it in the book. So, you know, give or take, you know, that with a grain of salt, right? Like, I don't know if that's, like, really a valid criticism. I'm just saying, like...
0: Oh, with the grain of salt, you're the one ruining Ama's oh, my- herbs. It's
1: me, it's me. I'm not very good oh, at my growing plants. Oh God, pl- you're the I'm villain. really bad at growing plants. It's you. <laughs> I killed a spider plant.
0: Oh God, did it no, have I legs? No, I named it berries though. Uh it varies how hey. you do on plants. Hey. I would say, I would say, me. Hey. So Yorick protects them from gunfire and they run. Amma takes down a soldier. She's killing me. I was dying <laughs> laughing at her just spidering, spider monkeying it up and just taking him down. That was great. Oh, you That go, was girl. so
1: funny. Like, I think she's just hilarious in general because even in the book she's funny where she just pieces the fuck out. She promised Will she was, like, yeah. gonna stay safe and out of the way and she's out here fighting.
0: I, uh, I'm glad York got to tear some shit up with these soldiers real quick and protect them. Again, contracts. Gotta pay Joe Tannenberg to do something this season, so it's smarter to bring him to the front now. But now that we're not really in the Himalayas, they've changed the location of the hut here. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, where's his bears? Where are they gonna go when they decide their land has melted because of Asriel? Like you said, we're missing some of those Asriel effects because of his holes in the sky. So I'm hoping we'll get maybe some sort of adaptive choice of this and get to see where those bears go. Yeah,
1: it might be a discussion or something that comes up. I don't know. It, bears are expensive. Yeah. It's also I like it. a real question, you know, in real life about polar bears.
0: Yeah. I guess we just don't know where they go yet.
1: That's what's happening Die. right now. <laughs> uh,
0: I hate this world. I want so another. So then we have Azriel
1: arriving in the intention craft to Mrs. Coulter's cottage cottagecore bachelorette pad. Uh, He heals Lyra, actually, as he comes in the window.
0: Yeah, he, like, cared. Yeah. He was like, fine, I care about my daughter for a second because I'm supposed to. And as we saw him in the intention craft, he had to actually really hype himself up. And like you said earlier on, like, he had one thought of, he had to cling to a thought. Yeah, it was his daughter. It was Lyra in that moment, thinking she's in danger, although she always is. But she's gone. She's already gone. The the last scene after that is Will and Lyra lying hand in hand, side by side with Pan, curled up in between them, right? Right in the Ugh, nape, right crying. in the collarbone. Yeah, it was very sad, very beautiful. And I didn't really see, when I watched it, I just saw them as separate scenes. But on rewatch, I'm actually seeing these scenes as very connected, because not only is he worried about Libra, but then if you look at the Next week's stuff, which we won't go too much into today because I'm sure we'll be chatting next week about it, there is a clip that shows Marisa's with him. Mm. So he brings Marisa back, which tracks with the books, uh, but he brings her back even though he couldn't get Lyra, even though Marisa pisses him the fuck off as we're going to see the rest of the season. They really irritate one another. He still saves her from the magisterium, Right. And from whatever would happen to her by the magisterium and by the authority members that are there, saves her from Gomez's wrath when he awakens from his little concussie. <laughs> so his concussie, I don't know. Oh, my God. But I think that's uh, it's really important. Right. Because then you flash to something so pure and beautiful, Lyra and Will, when Azriel and Marisa are fucked up. They have a fucked up toxic relationship, but they do do have something in one another and their hearts for one another. And hate sex, and he couldn't bear to just and hate sex. They're the giant shadow behind Lyra and Will, right? Like they are, like what goes wrong when not that beautiful, pure relationship of innocence and etc. They're they're the experience side of things, and kind of seems like a dead end right now for them. But stay tuned; yeah, it'll get worse. There,
1: there is somewhere for them to go, and it's all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> it never stops suffering forever together. Yeah, very, Just very like no us. exit. Um. Oh. Okay. Well. Shit. Aw. And yeah, it's. <sighs> I love this scene, this ending scene with Lyra and Will. I think it's good that they're showing that connection between them, and even like Pan jumping into Will's coat. I was like, oh, that's intimate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when they were they're escaping, so close. Yeah. I'm curious if, like, Commander Gunway is he going to give some love advice or be like, what the fuck is going on with you and this woman? Because actually in the books, he's the one who, who brings Mrs. Coulter back, but there is something touching of how Azra's like, oh, fine, I'll bring her, I guess, in this version.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, it's that opposite. So you see this very sweet, precious, precocious intimacy with Will and Lyra, but then you see, like, By that same token, you're looking at him. It's like I don't know, like a deeply. When you know someone, you have a relationship, a bond that's lasted for years, so much that like even if you're what you're feeling of them in the moment is overridden by that relationship, right? Like you, okay,
1: interesting. Um (laughs) Just kidding. Maybe, maybe not like us but okay <laughs> and, oh,
0: like me and my mom uh, like okay. like she could call me and i could be really annoyed but i'll i guess sometimes i'll still talk to her yeah
1: yeah well there were a couple of other things in those like in the coming weeks trailer and i had some thoughts but i think i'll just talk about them in the coming weeks when they air
0: yeah because we have weeks to come right <laughs> Yeah. Next week, we'll be coming back oh. to discuss the next two episodes. Episode three, episode four. So keep an eye out on your feeds for when that yeah, lands. when it lands, just like the intention craft. And where, like that intention craft, will it be landing, you ask? Well, to keep up on things If you like want that, to keep
1: up with any announcements that we have, etc., whether it's about His Dark Materials or our Song of Ice and Fire coverage, whether it's about His Dark Materials or our A Song of Ice and Fire coverage, you can find us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N. Or you can, if you have any thoughts, right, like about your reactions to the episodes or what you're looking forward to, you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, make sure you give us a like, follow, and subscribe at your favorite podcast streaming platform, whether that's Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Audible, you name it, we're on them all. Absolutely,
1: and somewhere that you can definitely always find us is on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, and patrons in the $5 tier and above, the stranger tier and above, get Bonus episodes every single month. This month we are covering George R. R. Martin's novella, The Ice Dragon.
0: Yeah, and of course, if you sign up for that thunder tier, the one right above that, the $10 tier, we are going to hook you up with a membership to our private Discord server where people are talking about his dark materials all the time, whether it's the books, whether it's the show. And coming January, you're going to see us. Uh have a good time with some weekly discussions, I believe, with our friends and patrons on his dark materials in the voice chat. So take a look. Patreon.com slash girls gone. We also
1: once a month on our Discord slash, On our Discord have a brunch slash happy hour this month in like not just the voice chat but also the video chat if you would like to turn on your video, you don't have to. Uh we are holding it Sunday, December eighteenth from two to four PM E.T. And it's going to be full of reindeer games.
0: Yeah, we hope to see you there. I'm excited. We have a couple fun games to play, some Jackbox games, and uh, get in the spirit with our friends to celebrate snow or no snow or whatever you got.
1: Absolutely.
0: As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And
1: I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana.
0: We'll be back next week. Thanks.
1: Lyra.